This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined today in Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Hi, Sam. How's it going? Going very well. How was your weekend? Uh, it was good. We reinforced the sides of the chicken house, and I had my first proper weigh-in post my... Remember when I got hypnotised and we interviewed the hypnotised lady? Yep. Um, uh, and I've And that was maybe... Four weeks ago, and I've lost no five weeks. I've lost ten kilos. What? And it was funny because one of the people who was who listens to our show on a regular basis messaged me the other day and said they've been watching my face shrink over the weeks. <laughs> so, so yeah, ten kilos gone, which is amazing. So it's working are sure, so far. Are you sure you didn't hypnotize like falling your arm falling off or something? <laughs> No, but my clothes tell me that they that I've lost ten kilos as well because I keep having to pull my trousers up and all my shirts look like tents and yeah, it's amazing. Well, well so, done. And getting lots of exercise? No, not yet. I'm waiting. I need to lose a bit more before I get into serious exercise. Otherwise, it hurts my knees too much. So, so who have we got today, Sam? Who we have today is Taylor Davies Collie. Welcome, Taylor. Yeah, kia ora koutou. Fantastic to be along. How has your bubble life been? Um, pretty good. Uh, it's um, it's a lovely day here in Dunedin. Classic spring. We had the last Thursday and Friday was blowing and miserable, and Sunday it's beautiful, um, pretty warm. Been outside uh, today and doing some odd jobs around the house, and yeah, enjoying it. So what did you get up to during the lockdown? Uh, well, I have been trying to finish a, a master's thesis, which lockdown was good and, and bad for. Um, certainly uh, gave me gave me some time to focus on some things, which was quite nice. But at the same time, seems uh, it seems like it's been hard to focus on um, focus on things when the world's doing such crazy things. But on the other hand, um, it's been really cool to have some time to focus on on some other things. Um, one of those is that uh, through the work we do at Autokonomi X Sanctuary with schools, um, obviously we couldn't interact with the schools in person. So we had time to work on some other ways that we connected with them. So we made some videos and we made some resources that we could send out for kids to do at home. Uh, so that was a really cool opportunity to kind of take stock a little bit. So. What is your study on? What are you researching? Um, so I've been researching the conservation of this plant called Utricularia australis, or the southern bladderwort. 
And so it's a small species of uh, aquatic plant that so lives underwater. And it lives in these lakes and wetlands, basically in the top half of the North Island. It's incredibly rare. Um, it's had a 70% decline in the last 10 years. And basically that's enough to qualify it to be uh, critically endangered, nationally critical, which is our highest, uh, most severe threat classification in New Zealand. The other really cool thing about this plant is it's carnivorous. So it uses these tiny little bladders and it actually sucks all the water out of those bladders. And then when something touches a specialized trigger here on the door of that bladder, the door buckles inwards and whatever it is, usually a nematode or a water flea or something like that, gets sucked inside. Um, but yeah, my research has been looking into why this species has become so rare and trying to figure out if there's actions we can take to kind of prevent further loss. Is it something other than loss of habitat? Uh, so loss of habitat, but um, in terms of we have lost a lot of wetlands, 90% um, of our wetlands have been lost in New Zealand since human colonisation, which is pretty severe. Um, but on top of that, the, the habitats it has left um, are being modified um, primarily through agriculture and forestry. Uh, and also it is now struggling as well to compete with some introduced species that we have in New Zealand, which are also invading the lakes that it likes to live in. But 70% over 10 years sounds something more major than just that, that stuff that's been going on for, for a century. Yeah, um, certainly uh, that's my one of my kind of key hypotheses, which I have found some evidence to support, but I haven't found like a really, really strong link to, is that the this invasive species which arrived kind of uh, early 2000s, late 1990s, it's hard to know exactly when, um, in some lakes, it doesn't cause a nuisance, so it grows to uh, a level that is present, but it's not smothering anything. And then in other lakes, it grows to this level where it just smothers everything. And we can see in places that there might be a relationship between uh, nutrients in the water um, causing nuisance growth in some circumstances and low nutrients cause it, not allowing it to form nuisance growth in other circumstances. So it's probably likely a combination of this new weed species being introduced and then on top of that, um, an increase of nutrification over the last while due to intensive agriculture. What led to the interest in the bladderwort? Um, so I, uh, um, I did an undergrad in botany and ecology, um, so I've always really liked plants and carnivorous plants, obviously the coolest sort of plants. Um, and on top of that, uh, for some summers during my undergraduate degree, I worked for the Northern Regional Council doing some water quality monitoring. Um, and during that time, I got to see some really cool places in Northland, um, some really cool lakes and wetlands, and I kind of learned about the species. And so um, when I was picking a master's topic, I thought that would be a good one to study. Um, also because Northland, where the species kind of has its last stronghold, is where I am from originally. So um, the ability to go back to visit Northland when I was doing this study was a real um, positive for me as well. So the field work's all done? Yep, field work's all done. Um, we're in the very final stages, hopefully, of, uh, of writing it up now. So you've just got to do it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> let's take the first of your music choices and let's have a Come a Little Closer from Marvel. How to feel, but you 
Never heard of this plant before. It is so cool. 
I can't wait to learn more about it. And um, I'm going to um, go and see if I can find some to show my son. That's a, that's going to be, I think, our holiday challenge for these coming school holidays. You said you were from Whakatane, is that right? Yeah. Well, actually, there's a, a wetlands um, sort of near Tauranga where the species exists. And it, to be fair, um, in all in all in all fairness to it, it looks very much like the type of oxygen weed sort of thing that you'd have in a fish tank. Um, the bladders are quite small, about sort of uh, two, three millimetres across. Um, but it is still a really awesome thing to see. What I would recommend is searching on YouTube um, bladder wart trapping and there's some great videos with some really cool slow motion um capture there because one of the problems with trying to watch it capture prey is that the prey capture sequence happens in eight milliseconds so that is yeah we blink in about 200 milliseconds so it's just far too fast for our human eye to register the trapping sequence well that's neat well we're going to try and track down where that is so we can go and locate it and um that's another, I think that's going to be a fun challenge. Thank you. Are these those sorts of wetlands that are annoyingly too too wet to walk on and too dry for a boat? Uh, yeah, a lot of them are um, A lot of them are in that weird wetland place. Um, I personally really like wetlands and walking through them. You know, there's nothing like being knees to waist deep in um, some murky water looking around for plants, but um, they're not always the uh, most welcoming places, which is probably part of the cause for the decline you know um it's really easy for humans to kind of perceive the intrinsic value of somewhere like a forest or uh, a mountain range because they have a majesty to us you know so you see them we like to go into forests we like to go into mountains but people don't really like going into wetlands because they're wet and yeah unless you're a person who um sees their value beyond kind of just experiencing them it can be hard to see why we need to protect them so much. So what work do you do at Orokanui? Um, So I uh, work as an educator, so um, part-time educator up there, where I mostly, my main focus is working with um, senior um, school students, but I also work with a variety of other um, age groups, right down to um, preschool-aged people, all out to, we also have adult groups come through for education stuff. And a lot of our a lot of our work there is focused around uh, trying to kind of engage um, students to see how amazing our native wildlife is, kind of understand the risks that it faces, and then to want to take action. And um, whether that action is kind of the the one end of it, which is the most extreme end, which is that you know they would go home and they would set up traps in their backyard to remove mammalian predators that might try and eat the birds in their backyard um, right down to you know we want people to be thinking about native wildlife when they make consumer decisions like at the supermarket you know there's there's every every decision you make in your life can help our amazing native wildlife if it's kind of thought about a little bit what led you into the education side of the science um i it's a, I, I don't know really um I initially came to university very quite set on um, kind of being a, a scientist, um, whatever that means, um, in terms of that I would, you know, do research, find out the answers to questions and, and do that. Uh, not long after I um, started my university degree, I got involved with a, 
student society called apes which is the animals aquatic plants and ecological society and um through that i got involved with the wild dunedin festival of nature and then um i kind of learned a little bit more about myself i think and i realized that i really enjoyed working with people and, and showing people how cool wildlife is and then from there i actually met tahu mckenzie from autokanoika sanctuary the amazing tahu and um she invited me up to autokanoi to um, do some stuff and and the rest is kind of history because it, now this many years later i've kind of realized um that i love science and i really love asking these questions and doing research but i'm very much more focused these days on these amazing ideas that we have about science these amazing animals and plants and trying to connect people to them so do you think the science communication is is where you're going i definitely think um i'll end up in that sort of space uh, i don't know exactly what the what my career um looks like over the next few years at all um we kind of take it as it comes at the moment <laughs> and you're working with the kaka tracking yeah so Orokanui, um released Kaka back into the sanctuary in 2008, which was really um, significant because it was the first species um, released back into the sanctuary, first rare species released back. But also, um, it was a species that's been locally extinct for some time between 100 and 200 years. Um, prior to um, it going extinct, it would have been a really common bird in Dunedin. And these stories of huge flocks flying around, and they would have been. Um, probably an important food source for Māori in the area. They would have been really ecologically important as seed dispersers. Um, but unfortunately, they went locally extinct due to loss of habitat and mammalian predators. And then we reintroduced them in 2008, which is a massive, massive thing for um, Otago and Dunedin. And then uh, since then, we've been reintroducing these birds. We've been breeding some at places like the Dunedin Botanic Gardens, and then they get released into Otokanui. Our Orokanui kaka have had babies and have bred, but the population doesn't seem to be growing as fast as we would like it. You know, we over the years, it's, it's just not kind of growing as fast as we want. And one of the things that we just don't know um, with the kaka Orokanui is they, they hang out in the fence. We see them inside the fence, but they also spend a lot of time outside the fence. And when they're outside the fence, we have no idea where they go, what they're doing, or whether or not they're safe. And um, the safety thing is a really interesting one because we do find dead kaka outside the fence. Um, we found them zapped at the bottom of power poles because they've interacted poorly with one. You know, we find them, we've heard of one that um, ended up in a water tank and drowned, unfortunately. And they can negatively interact as well with um, predator control methods. So we really want to know where they go, what they do, and how we can keep them safe, basically. So we um, decided that the best way to do that is to try and involve the wider community in a new project to try and work out what the answers to those questions are. The birds are clever and curious, like the Kia, aren't they? Yeah, they are very, um, very curious, very clever. They have a, a really good problem solving um, ability. So uh, much like kind of, that, that's something that kind of sets um, smarter animals apart is the ability to problem solve. And so they are good problem solvers, but you can only learn problem solving by experiencing the world. You know, as a, as a kid, 
you really only learn that you know you shouldn't touch an oven because you touch it and you realize it's hot and so you don't touch it again but the problem is is if with the kaka you know if it's playing with a power transformer it only learns by if it tickles it a little bit but if it shocks it dead the first time it can't learn and it can't you know go forward so they are very clever but it does that cleverness comes with curiosity and that curiosity does you know get them into trouble so what's happening with the community monitoring how large an area is it and so on well so we applied for um a participatory science um project fund and um we were lucky with that and we got some funding there and so we created a project the project's name is Kaka, which is the tere maori for we are the kaka and the idea is that we know that that kaka can can fly pretty happily about 10 kilometers so at the moment we're trying to focus on our priority groups which are the communities of waitati purakanui uh and port chalmers um and so we're trying to engage those communities and we're just kind of ramping up now after the weird year we had and we'll have um we'll do lots of media but we'll also have a few community hui to try and get those people thinking about uh why are they seeing kaka in certain places and whether or not they can do more things to protect them is there a particular food source that they would like that we should be planting in our gardens because i'm in that circle so yeah it's a really good it's a really good question um they are really diverse feeders so um native trees just in general are a really good thing so they um one of the reasons that um that they are kind of quite successful apart from the fact that they get um eaten by stoats is that they do have a really diverse foraging habit so they'll eat um sap from trees they'll eat fruit from trees they'll eat leaves from trees and then they'll also eat invertebrates bugs things like that and even um in really rare cases we've heard of them scavenging carcasses um so in terms of what trees to plant um basically native trees anything that's going to fruit um so this is some lot well, our podocarps are really good for that so things like rimu miro uh kahekatea if you're in a, a wet place um tortura as well uh planting things like uh kapoka which is grizzlinia um is a really good one as well because not only do those trees um, produce fruit but they're also going to grow really big which is important because kaka are cavity nesters so they need holes in old trees to build their homes in let's take your friend and ours let's have tahu right here bubble sprite of the forest of orakanui dinidin's favorite goddess tahu mackenzie Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia kaka kotaha hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope that wherever you are, and whatever is happening around you, that more and more each day you are realising and remembering who you are, a triumph of nature's art. Perfect, unique and here, making things much better if thank you. So it's been a very interesting day for me because as we know there's been gale force winds, Tafiri Mati has been prancing about here in Aotearoa Stuneden and then for the first time today in a long time the whole universe was becalmed 
and Tamanui Oterah shone forth the beautiful sun. It was so warm and peaceful and beautiful, and this deeply invigorated me. And so I leapt out of bed and I encouraged Harvey Penfold to join me. We went to our various exercise routine sites of power, Les Mills for him and Barbase for me, and then we reunited as a dream team with Sam and Leslie and Julia and Rosa we went out for coffee and it was so nice and we enjoyed shining upon each other giving each other the sunshine the light the love of our attention our encouragement we regaled each other with stories and it was so beautiful and so nourishing and of course it got me thinking about that stunning real world of which we are a part the natural world the living world and how, of course, the plants on a day like today would be just loving soaking up all the sun and photosynthesizing away and making delicious sugar for themselves and releasing amazing oxygen for us. And in return, of course, we are giving them our wonderful carbon dioxide. So the whole thing is a beautiful cycle and a beautiful friendship. And in the same way, today we were exchanging our, our moments of, of wonder and appreciation, our stories and... Leslie shared a lovely story about her great aunt reading stories written by Leslie's son-in-law in the paper about an adventure that he had with Leslie's daughter and little grandbaby on the west coast and she loved his story so much that he'd written that in her mind she took part in them too and then when her visitors came to visit her she told them that she'd been up in these helicopters and on these big hikes and to the beach because it was so real for her that story came true for her and I loved that I love how we can connect so deeply and we can empathize so much with one another and then Harvey and I got home and we went into the Vejo sanctuary the veggie garden sanctuary of course the rest of the garden has become hey hey hq for the beautiful hens and we lay in the sun and we haven't done that for a long time so it was very nice and we had time with all the bees and all the flowers on all the veggie plants which are making lots of baby veggie plants hopefully and growing up and up towards the sun we lay and look at all the patterns in the clouds and it was wonderful and then of course as i'm sure we all feel at times in beautiful Aotearoa New Zealand the sun became so hot and oppressive almost it was pleasurable but it was too intense and we were probably becoming quite red and sunburnt and so we decided to go inside and Harvey Penfold went into his own universe and I went into my own universe and we had some relaxation and some recalibration and some nourishment for ourselves choosing that solitude and of course this got me thinking about how in order to grow we need a mixture of that wonderful love and attention that sunshine and also time when we're in a more sheltered and we're choosing solitude for ourselves we're having that quiet time and that repose and with the right balance for us and it's different for everybody but when we have the right balance for us and we can just grow and grow and grow. So I hope that for you, you're getting that right balance of love and sunshine and attention from those around you. And you're also able to share your light and your love with them. And also having the opportunity to choose solitude. And when you are, just loving, giving yourself that sunshine. And I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. I'm Samuel Mann with Mawira Karatai, and we are talking with Taylor Davies Collie.
One of the projects um, that I have, am working on up here, Taylor, is a um, is the restoration of the Nahiri of the Kaimai Mamaku Ranges. So the minister just uh, gave us a $19 million grant the other day to run a ground control operation for peace management. Um, and it's all people-based. So we'd established a whole bunch of shovel-ready projects and um, and it's all about um, survival of our bird species and our insect species and um, and just get you know making sure that we that we can restore the understory and give a place for these species to thrive. So yeah, I, for people like you who are doing this beautiful study and you know driving these projects, well done. Thank you. Um, yeah, it is it is really uh, an exciting time to be honest. Um, uh, in terms of someone who's so fascinated with New Zealand biodiversity, because. Um, we really are kicking off throughout New Zealand with these fantastic predator control operations. Um, you know, uh, predator-free New Zealand is, is an ambitious goal, but if we can even get close to it, it's going to have a huge impact. I mean, even now we're starting to see uh, starting to see the rewards of, of the work that has been done in other places. Um, Wellington is a great example. They have done so much hard mahi up there and um, the birds that are coming back to the city, um, you know, they have kaka visiting parliament and it's it's just remarkable. Um, and then, you know, in Dunedin, we're kicking off as well and we've got predator-free Dunedin um, happening. And the hope is that um, by the time kind of we have a better idea of what the kaka are doing and where they're going, we're, we'll have better predator control as well on the outside of the fence to keep them safe. I'm going to change topic a bit. We've seen lots of societal changes over the last few months what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick Ooh. um i don't know uh there's there's lots of uh, lots of very cool things i think one of the things that people maybe have been thinking about is how um how important it is to take time um with whanau and um, you know people uh I mean, a lot of people I know did struggle having to spend, you know, more time at home with their kids or, or other people. But um, I know a lot of people also kind of realised that, you know, when you're working so hard as we often do in our lives, that you don't maybe spend as much time with your whānau and you miss a lot of cool things because of that. Um, and it is, I hope, I hope people kind of maybe going forward acknowledge that and kind of think about that a little bit more. Um, I think people had a greater appreciation for for the area around them maybe during lockdown as well like uh, i know that um even like uh, as someone who who should be, who should know their local area and their local you know um kind of wild spaces really well like i did a lot of walking around particularly the town belt area and um it was great to see you know the wildlife of the town belt so many birds um great to see kind of all these little forest patches everywhere and just have an appreciation of of my area and not just kind of live in one place, drive to town, drive to work or walk to town, walk to work and kind of your house is just in an isolated place. It is just about kind of appreciating your area, but more, I hope those sorts of things stick. That'd be quite cool. There was a time when in the, the middle of the, the first lockdown, the, the lockdown four, that it was all very peaceful and the mm. birds came back and whether or not the birds were louder or just seemed louder or, or whatever, but they, they certainly seemed louder. Yeah. Um, 
but we all brushed back to being busy. But but maybe maybe that time that we did spend in, in having that, that moment of peace, maybe that'll stick. Maybe that'll just the maybe there'll be a a, a long lasting effect of that that time that we did all have a an excuse to stop. Yeah. I I really hope that that's in the back of people's mind that um that it was it, it was nice to stop and nice to have some focus and that when we move forward, um, even people I know who weren't really bird people were noticing birds. And I think that that's a really powerful thing in terms of trying to, you know, um, working towards some of the conservation goals we have, you know, um, just people noticing birds is a massive thing because you can say, you know, you've got birds there. Now kind of we can work towards protecting them. And we and and one of the things that I was thinking about because of that whole quiet period during lockdown is Maybe in the future, one of the things we need to think about is how noisy our cities are, not just from the point of um, the birds, because maybe I don't know exactly whether or not the birds were coming more into the city because it was quiet or not. But certainly from a human perspective, we noticed them more. We enjoyed it more when it was quiet. We noticed nature more. So maybe the hustle bustle noise of cities is something that we need to consider from a like a human welfare point of view going forward. Because there is that similar moment when you walk in through the gate at, at Orokanui, even though when you walk in through the gate and it's still a gravel path, but it still has that moment of that, that it is a sort of a feeling of release or, and sanctuary for people as well. Oh, definitely. I think um, uh, I, I, I kind of, realized this the other day really when we were up um we were up the saddle track and it was it was really noisy there was lots of birds calling and there was the wind blowing through the trees but it wasn't it was peaceful and i think um i think we take that for granted a lot um how much just being out in places like that where there aren't any of those human noises like traffic or phones ringing or anything like that that we're probably so tuned in to think about stressfully that, and you know how good that must be for us to be out in those spaces. What do you think we can learn from the response to the pandemic for the, the, the larger scale questions, the things like climate change or, or, or biodiversity collapse? Um, I think, I think one of the main things is that we can do it. Like, um, we we all we all stopped and the, like it was it was hard we we gave up a lot of things and it was hard but it, no one like the world didn't blow up you know like we st- we all stopped driving for a long time and and yeah working from home doesn't work for some people but you know everything everyone was okay and i think that was a really a really cool thing like to see that um, you know, during that period, emissions dropped because no one was driving, um, and and we and it just kind of gives you hope that oh, okay, if people want, if there was, if there's a reason to do this, which I still don't see how people don't see climate change as being a reason to do things, but you know they don't seem to. But you know the reason was the pandemic, and people made change really fast, and they and they adapted and they coped. So I think when we are eventually able to get that message through about how serious the biodiversity collapse and climate change is, it's inspiring to know that people have the ability to actually make those changes and adapt when they need to. 
most people, of course, wouldn't would only vaguely be aware of the the state of of biodiversity and the the challenge that things that, that it's having, um, and that it's it's not going to we can't solve that problem entirely through lifeboats. While the the sanctuaries no. are good, it's going to require more of a systems change to to really keep the biodiversity. What do we need to do to get that onto the onto the billboards so that people will take it seriously? It's such a tricky one, and it's not a it's yeah it's certainly not a one answer question. I mean, the, there's that whole thing about the human psyche that if we give someone too much bad news, they shut off. And you know, there's there's a lot of research that shows that you know if you're giving someone bad news, like um, you know, we we try and do it when we're working as a you know in education, we we deal with some quite um, quite sad subjects quite often. You know, you talk about the state of biodiversity. You know, when we're talking, we show the kids the the takahe, and you're like, oh, you know, these these animals, you know, are doing all right. There's there's 400 of them, but they're still right on the brink, realistically. Um, and you kind of have to prime them with some fun things when you're giving them that bad information. And I think we just kind of haven't quite got to the point where um, where we've figured out the perfect ratio to give people the bad news about um, species going extinct, um, particularly for those species that are given that, you know, birds do make up a large proportion of the New Zealand um, rare biota, but... Um, the majority of the rare animals are all slimy, scaly, wriggly things. And those are certainly the bigger challenge in terms of convincing people because you can put a kakapo on a billboard and, you know, we've done that. And the kakapo recovery program gets huge publicity worldwide and donations from lots of different places. But, um, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the robust grasshopper, you know, doesn't quite get donations from overseas of people who see photos from it because it's just not as cute maybe we need that maybe we need the charismatic megafauna equivalent for for climate change i don't know what that yeah. is um i mean that's they, they've used polar bears for that for a, for a long time you know but it still doesn't seem to be sinking home um that uh that we're that we're in the, the position we are um I think, yeah, it, it, it's such a tricky one because um, there are still so many people out there who just don't believe it. And if they do believe it, it's they, they downplay the issue or they feel that they can't themselves have any effect, um, which is, it's just about kind of every person doing a, a little bit and uh, and that would make make a difference but um yeah i think that that's definitely i know in terms of um in terms of some of the changes that that can be made i think we just kind of need to keep pushing those those really small messages you know oh you know you know we, we hear a lot of people talk about diet changes you know that you have you know and we we talk about animal agriculture being being bad for the environment and you know you hear all these people saying like oh everyone just needs to stop eating meat and but that's just too much of a kind of there's too much of a barrier between someone who's eating meat and someone who's not eating any meat to make a switch, you know. And so, you know, I've seen campaigns now which are much more successful, and they go, you know, I oh, try and remove, you know, one meat meal a week from from your diet, 
and that's those kind of um, ideas, but we need to have them across all platforms. And I think actually Tuesday here in Dunedin's walk to work day and no cars day, which is another, that's, that's the same sort of idea is that we're not, we, we, if we say to people, oh, you don't drive your cars at all, you know, then they're going to um, just be like, oh, that's crazy. We're not going to do that. But if you kind of start to suggest, oh, maybe try to take public transport once a week or once a month to start with and then kind of build from that. And I think that's where we need to head in terms of our messages. Yeah. Or even just once, because then you know where the bus stop is and mm. the, the bus oh, is yeah, a exactly. perfectly reasonable thing. Uh, let's take a some music about a really rare couple of animals. Let's have the hippopotamus and the rhinoceros from the Flight of the Concords. I'm the motherfucking rhinoceros. My beasts are fat and the birds are on my back and I'm horny. I'm horny. If you choose to proceed, you will indeed concede. Kids, I hit you with my flow, the wild rhino stampede. I'm not just wild, I'm trained, domesticated. I was raised by a rapper and rhino that dated and subsequently procreated. That's how it goes. Here's the hip hop hippopotamus, the hip hop hip They call me the hip hop hippopotamus. My lyrics are bottomless. Sometimes our rhymes are polite, and I thank you for dinner, Miss Wright. That was very delicious. Good night. Sometimes they're obscene, like a pornographic dream. NC 17 with ladies in a stream of margarine. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, some margarine. They call me the hip hopopotamus. Flows that glow like phosphorus. Popping off the top of this esophagus. Rocking this metropolis. I'm not a large water dwelling mammal. Where did you get that preposterous hypothesis? Did Steve tell you that perchance? My rhymes and records, they don't get played Because my records and rhymes, they don't get made And if you rap like me, you don't get paid And if you roll like me, you don't get laid My rhymes are so potent that in this small segment I made all of the ladies in the area pregnant Yeah, sometimes my lyrics are sexist But you lovely bitches and hoes should know I'm trying to correct this Other rappers dismay Say my rhymes are say Why? 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 Why exactly? What? Why? Be more constructive with your feedback, please. Why? 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 Cause I rap about reality. Like me and my grandma drinking a cup of tea. There ain't no party like my nana's tea party. Hey, how? I'm the mother flipping. I'm the mother flipping. I'm the mother flipping. Who's the mother flipping? I'm the mother flipping. I'm the mother flippin' I'm the mother flippin' Mother flippin' So I have some questions to end the show. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, The biggest biggest success I've had in the last couple of years is... um, there's a program that the University of Otago runs called Science Wānanga, and it goes to visit um, marae around the country, and we work with um, young uh, rangatahi from the community, and we um, talk to them about what a scientist looks like, what science is, um, with the idea that we want to inspire these um, these young people to realise that their future is, is much more open and aware than they could ever think. And the busy, biggest success I've had in and all across my entire life over the last three years is that um, on out of Otako we were there and we did a activity looking at invertebrates and um, this young young boy comes up to me and says far out sir 
I had no idea you could be a scientist just looking at bugs. That is really cool. And to me, that is the biggest success I've had. You know, just the the fact that this one this one young young guy just was like, man, just blew his mind that you could be a scientist and just look at bugs. And I was like, that is cool. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you're on our team. What is the superpower that got you into our mansion? Oh, hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I think that I just, I really just love wildlife and native plants, native animals, and um, well, all plants, but particularly native plants and native animals. And I think um, why I like to do what I do or why I'm potentially good at what I do is purely just because I really, really like these things and I love to get excited about them and I really love getting other people excited about them. There's, there's, you know, it's it's so easy to teach someone about um, about Takahe and, and why they're so cool when, when they are just the absolute coolest, you know, or why carnivorous plants need protecting when they really are just, um, I mean, it, it's just all, all super cool stuff and I love it. And, uh, and I think that that's, that's maybe it, yeah. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? I, I, I think, yes, probably. I, I do think that um, we're at a time of, our, of the human existence where we have to make some quite serious changes. Um, I think everyone has a part to play in that. I certainly have um, friends who are um, probably what you would consider to be more traditional activists, you know, they're the type of people who like to demonstrate and those sorts of things. Um, I certainly work in a, in a different way, and the way I like to work is to talk to people and to just try and convince them that these things are super cool and that they need protecting and that we need to change um, some of the actions that we're taking. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it is really important to acknowledge that there's, there's so many ways to contribute to um, protecting wildlife or changing people's opinions about um, wildlife or changing cultural practices to prevent climate change. Um, and yeah, every way we do it individually is good. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, probably just uh, uh, how cool, yeah, how cool plants, animals, native wildlife are and the idea that there are people who out there who might not know about them and if I tell them about them might also get as excited as me about them. And what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, I think um, one of the challenges the probably I'm really excited about this this Kaka project that we have, Kahinga Kaka, because um, Kaka are a, a funny bird. Um, they, you know, we, we don't know that much about them in terms of what they're doing outside of Auckland, so that's going to be a challenge in itself, but it's also going to be a challenge looking at the community perceptions around them. Um, you know, we interacted with someone the other day who we asked, oh, you know, we told them about the project, and I said, oh, hopefully, you know, we'll up the kaka population, and they responded with, oh, yeah, just not too many because then they might eat my apple trees. And so there's certainly going to be a challenge there with the whole idea of, you know, bringing back native wildlife that should be in these areas and how it might conflict with people who have spent their whole lives growing plants without ever having kaka to worry about. So, you know, do 
should people's apple trees be have more rights than these native birds that live there forever and that that's certainly going to be um a challenge but also on top of that from the person who um, works with native wildlife i think um worldwide but particularly in new zealand there won't be a an ecologist you talk to who won't say that pets are a major problem particularly cats and I think one of the big challenges for me in terms of um, the Kaka project will be um, when we get to a point where we say, okay, yep, you know, stoats and ferrets and, and mice are a problem and habitat loss is a problem. But these dogs and free roaming dogs and cats also have the potential to kill Kaka and that's a problem. And how we address that, I think is going to be a massive challenge. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? um get out and enjoy um wherever you are in new zealand or, or all the world um get out and enjoy your local areas uh see native wildlife talk to people who are interested in your area um and just just get excited um you know we're so lucky um you know particularly i always count count myself so lucky to be here in dunedin where you can travel in any direction, a very short distance. If you're on the peninsula, one of the greatest wildlife hotspots in the world. Um, and you know, we really do just need to make sure, make the most of those spaces um, because it's, it's not only is it super exciting to see wildlife, but being outside in those wild places is really good for people, I think. Thank you very much for that, Mawira. I just want to say um, thanks for being a great inspiration to the young people because, you know, you're you're young compared to us, <laughs> and and so you're you know you've got a long career ahead of you, but there's got to be people following in your footsteps, and you're inspiring that generation of young people to follow after you, and that's a wonderful gift to give the world. Thank you for doing that. I certainly think, um, uh, like I, I work with 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 young people and a lot of. Um, and a lot of projects I'm part of and they are to be honest they're they're a lot better at at a, at a lot of things than adults um they they're not kind of burdened by um by bureaucracy <laughs> that um kind of we get we get stuck with and and they just just have such good intentions for the world and they and they really want to make a difference so um I am really excited about the next generation of young people coming through. And I think, to be honest, um, we're in really good hands. Thank you very much for that. Let's go out to the chaps, a believer like me. We'll go out to the chaps, a believer like me. Better.
place the people of the planet would see If everyone could be a believer like me Yeah, yeah Let me sing you a song about war How it's murder and the masses more than ever before As the power-hungry pugilists poison the world to the core Ah, but with love and understanding all the world could be strong Those who have no toleration and who can't get along Should be banished back to where they belong They really should be alone Now hear me sing about war Cause I know when to stand and I know when to fight And he knows what is wrong and he knows what is right And I know what you must and I know what you should And he knows what is bad and he knows what is good What a better place the people of the planet would see If everyone could be a believer like About the rights of all the people and the people who need them And repression of expression in the prisons where the people lie bleeding I view the magazines and video, now let me explain We gotta rescue the oppressed, set them free from their chains You've got a moral obligation to remain here, detained here this evening Hear me sing about freedom Populations of the nations mark time As they wait in expectation for creative innovation to shine been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Moira Karatai in Fakatani, and we were joined today by Taylor Davies Colley from Central Dunedin. We hope you enjoyed the show. And he knows what is wrong, and he knows what is right. And I know what you must, and I know what you should. And he knows what is bad, and he knows what is good. What a better place the people of the planet would see. If everyone could be a believer like me Believer yeah, like yeah. me Believer like me Believer yeah, like yeah. me Believer like me Fine and shine and whine and believer like me Believer like Talk flight down right up tight Believer like me This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.